Hey, Southridge Church, thanks for joining today. Welcome to Southridge Online. And whether you are in Canada or around this world, we appreciate you and we are glad that you have joined us today. But I would encourage you to do more than just listen today. Visit our website at southridgefellowship.ca. Find out more about us if you're new or join us in community by joining one of our community groups and engage with us in the mission that God has given us to fulfill by either giving financially or serving or just even following Jesus daily. We are so glad that you're a part of us and we encourage you to step into something that God has for you. So find out more at southridgefellowship.ca and enjoy the message. There are a number of things we have no control over in our lives, right? And one of those things is the genetic traits that get passed down to us from our moms and our dads. Uh, some of those traits are the things that make us unique, like our eye color, our hair color, and some of them are things we'd rather not have, like male pattern baldness or ugly toenails. Uh, I have uh, a genetic trait that's been, ta- well, Technically, it's, I don't think technically it's a genetic trait, but I have had something handed down to me from my grandfather and my father. See, one of my vivid memories of my grandpa Chapman is that he could fall asleep on any, a given, any given notice. Like he could just go out and there'd be tons of noise around and he would stay fast asleep. And he's passed that on to my dad. And, and there are memories that I have of us on long road trips where we'd be driving for quite a while and then dad would just pull over somewhere and he said, okay guys, I need you to get out. I need to have like a 20 minute nap. And so mom and the three boys, we'd jump out and we'd go exploring. And like, as soon as we are out of the car, dad would lay back, he'd be out. 20 minutes later, he wakes up, refreshed, we're back on the road. I have that trait. I can fall asleep on our couch and I can have babies crawling over me and I will not wake up. Now, my family, unfortunately, has taken advantage of that. And there are a number of pictures floating around where I look like a dead salmon. You know, like that look. Yeah, I know it's really attractive, really appealing, and they really do it without mercy. Now, I tell you this uh, because I've realized that in the few times in my life where um, easy sleep has not come, I realize that I take easy sleep for granted. And I know some of you who have a hard time getting asleep, going asleep. You know, poor Brent, you have this genetic gift of being able to fall asleep anywhere and stay asleep. I realize that. But the few times where I haven't and where I've struggled with falling asleep just reminds me how important sleep is. And here's the crazy thing. Did you know that there's a psalm in the Bible that actually gives us some step-by-step things that we can do to have a good night's sleep? Do you? I call it the sleepy psalm. And it's actually Psalm 4. And the psalm ends with this verse. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. So David is ending this psalm telling us that he is going to sleep with peace and have a nice deep sleep. But how does the psalm start? The psalm starts by saying this, Answer me when I call you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. And so in the first verse, David is telling us that there is something giving him distress, something that obviously is keeping him up at night. And he is crying out to God. But by the end of the psalm, he has worked through a number of things where at the end he can say that he is going to lie down and fall asleep in peace. And so how does he get there? How does he go from being in distress, not being able to sleep, to being able to 
go to sleep. Let's look at verses 2 to 7. Let me read them for you. How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. When you are on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifice of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine upon us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. Did you catch all the process that he had in there? Now, there are actually some very practical steps David gives us here about how to have a good night's sleep, which I'll get into. But I want to make sure we don't gloss over the deep theology that David has in this psalm. The practicality or the practical steps are rooted in some really good theology. And there's three things that I think he's pointing out to. The first thing is this, that about God, that God is a righteous God. And you see that in verse 1. He basically gives God the title, the righteous God. And what he is saying here is that in the distress of our life, when we are, um, the distress that we often suffer from or when we feel distress, it often comes from when we experience injustice in our life, when we think life is unfair or when we see injustice in other people's lives, or we suffer persecution, or when our relationships are in disharmony. And David is reminding us that God is a God of justice, meaning that he knows the truth and he is able to act on that truth. Um, God, or David may have written this psalm around the time when one of his sons usurped his throne in Jerusalem, forcing David to flee out of Jerusalem. And so David, if this is the same time period, is experiencing some real injustice in our life, his life. And so he, you can understand why he would be crying out to God and being kind of having being in despair. So he is calling on God, the righteous God. But he also points out that God is a relational God. And this is found in verse three, where he's reminding God that He himself is a faithful servant and that God has set apart David. That God has called David into this position of being king and God has set him apart. And David's confidence in being able to go to God and call upon God is rooted in this knowledge that he has been set apart by God. He knows he is God's faithful servant and because of that, he knows that God will listen to him. In the New Testament, you see this where Jesus comes along and says basically the same sort of thing to us. He says that when we follow him, he sets us apart as his disciples. And that he will never leave us. He will always be with us. He never will leave us or forsake us. And then at the very end of the psalm, David points out that God not only is our righteous God, a relational God, but he is also a God of refuge. And he talks about the ability to lie down because he knows he is safe in God's arms. God is the source of our safety. When we turn our life over to him, God is the rock on which we can stand. Everything else we try and have confidence is like sand. It'll collapse. But if we put our trust in God, he will be our refuge. Verse 2, if you go back to verse 2, David reminds us basically of why we have problems in our life. 
And he is telling us that we have problems in our life when we don't follow God. We have problems in our life when we turn our back on God. We have problems in our life when we chase delusions, when we believe in lies, when we don't believe the truth of God. And so how do we stop ourselves from falling into these delusions and believing these lies and have a good night's sleep? In verses four to five, I think David outlines um, five really good steps that we need to follow. Now, follow along, starting in verse four. He says, first, you have to deal with your emotions. He says, tremble and do not sin. An alternate translation to that is, um, do, uh, in your anger, do not sin. And he's pointing out that sometimes the situations in our life cause us to get angry. And we can be angry for quite a few reasons. Sometimes it's because of the injustice that I've already talked about. Sometimes it's because of resentment in our life. You realize that resentment is often unresolved anger that we have towards someone else. Sometimes it's bitterness, which is often the result of anger anger being turned inward. Uh, We tremble, the NIV says, because we are angry. But we also tremble because we have anxiety or we have fear. And I think that's partly what he's saying in verse 6, that people deal with anxiety. They're asking, you know, who will bring us to prosperity? And in essence, they're saying, who's going to bring us success? Who's going to bring us wealth? Who's going to give us a job? We, all the things we fear, all the things we have anxiety about, all the things we worry about, all those things, the worries of life, the, the things of, that cause us anger, can bring us to a point that don't allow us to have a good night's sleep. Don't allow us to rest. And so David comes along and says, you first got to deal with your emotions. A number of years ago, I learned a muscle relaxing technique. And so if I went to bed and I found that my body was tense, I would practice this and it helped immensely. And basically what it was, was going through different muscle groups, contracting for a period of five to 10 seconds and then relaxing. And you start, so you lie down, you start with your toes, you contract and hold them for five to 10 seconds, then you move to your ankles, and then your calves, and then your your, uh, quads and your hamstrings, and then your glutes, and then your core, your stomach muscles, then your chest, then your biceps, and then your forearms, and then your fingers, and then you move up to your neck, and then your forehead, and you'd hold for five to 10 seconds, then release. And the process of doing that totally relaxes your body. If you've never tried it, you got to give it a try. It totally helps you get ready to go to sleep. But what David is saying here is not that we need a physical way to relax. We need an emotional way. We need to understand the technique of letting our emotions go in order to prepare ourselves for a good night's sleep. Now, anger isn't necessarily wrong. You see, anger really is just a sign to us that there is something wrong in our life. And we need to figure out what that is. David is telling us, you basically have to acknowledge your emotions, express it, and then release it. And how do we do that? The next step, he tells us, is we need to reflect on our life. He says this by saying, search your heart. In essence, he's saying, go through your day, make a checklist of all the things that you did, and see if any of those are causing the issues of you not falling asleep. Are there conversations you had or decisions you had to make or emails that you got got that stirred up the anger emotion or the anxiety emotion in you? List them out. Make the check. Meditate on your day. Reflect on what has gone on. 
And then when you've identified those things, what does he say? The next thing he says is you need to be silent. You need to be silent. Basically, empty your head of all the soundtracks that are playing in your head. Try and get rid of your fears, your anger, your bitterness. Quit replaying the conversations over and over again in your head. You see, it's in the silence that you need to listen for God. Jean Twenge is a professor of psychology at the University of San Diego State, and she's a global leader in generational research. Especially, she focuses on the generations of the millennial and the Gen Z, or as she calls them, the iGen generation. And she points out that there is a huge connection between smartphones and depression. In fact, clinical depression has doubled in the iGen generation since 2012. This command to be silent, to listen, may be the closest biblical injunction that you may have to not have your cell phone in your bedroom. She goes on to tell us that research is showing that iGen, the iGen generation is spending more time alone on their smartphones and less time with other people. And this happened, this was starting to happen before COVID even hit. And she says this trend combined with the iGen getting less sleep because they're staying up on their phones at night is the perfect cocktail for mental health challenges like anxiety, depression, and even suicide. I think phone addiction is perhaps the unacknowledged epidemic that is sweeping our nation, our society. And maybe the first step you need to do in order to have a good night's sleep is to make this rule in your home. No phones in the bedroom. And if you are going to be brave enough to do that and step into that, obviously you have to lead by example. But realize this, because it's an addiction... Your kids, your spouse, you are addicted to your phone. You are going to fight against it. Your kids are going to fight against this rule. And they will come up with all sorts of excuses of why they need the phone in their bedroom. Oh, I use it for my alarm. Oh, I use it to listen to music to fall asleep. Don't let those excuses not let you implement this rule if you think that's going to help your family and yourself fall asleep. Buy, you know, lay out the money and buy some cheap alarm clocks buy some Bluetooth speakers, get the phone out of the room. That initial investment, I think, will pay dividends down the road in their physical and mental and even spiritual well-being. You need to find a way, David is saying, of being able to be silent when you're lying down, getting ready to go to sleep. Do you know why this is important? At least in my experience, I find that God speaks the most often in my life when I am silent. It's in those moments when there are no distractions, no phones, no anything else, where I'm just silent and meditating before him that he brings a verse that I need to hear or he gives me an impression of what I need to do or he just gives me peace in the midst of all the things that are going on. After being silent, what does David tell us to do? In verse 5, he says to repent. Well, he doesn't use those words. He actually says to offer the sacrifice. You see, in the Old Testament, uh, what David, in saying that, 
The Jews would understand what David is saying. When he said offer the sacrifice, he means go to the temple and offer a sacrifice so that you can repent to God of the sin that you've committed. James 4.8 tells us that in order to, to really come near to God, we have to purify our hearts. David is saying the same thing that James is saying. In order to be able to sleep, basically, in order to come to God and have a clear conscience, we need to deal with the guilt. You see, when you examine what you've gone through in the day, and when you spend some time being silent, God's going to point out in your life, perhaps, some of the things that you did, the sin that you were a part of, that is causing the issues and the problems in your life. The things that is keeping you up at night. You see, a guilty conscience is a killer of trying to get good sleep. And yet repentance deals with that guilt. When we repent, we deal with the guilt in our life and no longer does the guilt weigh us down. And you, and so he's encouraging us, he's challenging us, he's telling us we need to deal with the sin in our life in order to have a good night's sleep. And yet you can do all these things. You can deal with your emotions, you can reflect on your day, you can be silent, and you can even repent. And yet, with all those things, you still might come to a place where you don't achieve peace unless you do and commit to the last step. And what is the last thing he tells us here? He says, finally, in verse 5, and trust in the Lord. Put your trust in God. About three and a half years ago, we did a sermon series called Boulder. And part of that series was a number of messages where we were, we believed we needed to be bolder in our lives, that God was calling us to that. And the last message had to do with the fear in our life. And so it was built around this idea that we needed to be bolder in going into the fears that we have and dealing with them. And at, at, at the end of that message, we handed out these little strips of paper that were colorful on one side and it said bolder on it. And I asked the congregation, to write on the other side fears that God had identified while they were listening to the message that he wanted them to step into, to deal with, to turn over to him. And then I got everyone to come forward and drop those little pieces of paper in, in a basket, basically like a physical representation of letting those fears go and trusting that God would help them through them. This past week, I was cleaning out my office a little bit and I opened this box and I discovered that I had never thrown away all those bolder slips of paper. And I just took a couple of moments to look through some of them. And it's amazing because it reminded me of how powerful that service was. And now some of the fears that people put down were kind of generic, like, you know, help me uh, get over my fear of witnessing or my fear of rejection or help me with my sin of lust or, or even my fear of my, raising my kids. And yet there were other ones that were very specific. Like, help me get over the fear of trusting the next man who comes into my life. Or help me with my relationship with my, with that my biological mother makes me fearful in my relationship with my adoptive mother. Or, the fear that my children will break my wife or the fear of being alone forever. You can just hear the pain in what was put down. And yet as I looked at others, there was a common thread through a number of other submissions. And it was this, 
the fear of trusting God, the fear of surrendering, surrendering their life to God. I don't want you to miss this in this psalm. I think David is saying to you that you can try all the techniques you want to get a good night's sleep. You can deal with your emotions. You can reflect on your day. You can be silent even before God. And you can even get to the point where you repent. But if you are ultimately not willing to get to the place where you're going to trust God with your life, you won't get to the place where you will experience the peace that God wants to give you. You see, to trust means to surrender, to give up. Church planter Peyton Jones, uh, talking about discipleship, uh, it, the way he phrased it really caught my attention. He says this, we need to think about discipleship in this way. This is what he says, as the long defeat Done right, it is the process of slowly surrendering everything over to God. What a unique perspective. Most of us don't think about living our life in defeat. We think about living it victoriously. And yet he points out that in surrendering to God, we so often want to keep control of our life. We so often want to hang on to our life. We want to make the decisions. We want to dictate our future. We want to dictate what we're doing. But the process of discipleship is that long defeat. The process of slowly surrendering every single aspect of our life to God. So what do you need to trust God with? What is he asking you to surrender to him? Is it your life? Is it to take the step of salvation? You see, faith begins when we take that first step to trust Jesus. Don't forget that God is a, God, a relational God. He wants to have a relationship with you. And he's provided a way to have that relationship. And it's through Jesus and what Jesus has done by dying on the cross for your sin. He wants you and invites you to step into that relationship. But it takes that step of faith. It takes that step of trust. You have to be willing to turn your life over to Jesus. You can't hang on to it. We can't trust God and yet hang on to our life at the same time. Maybe what God is asking you to trust in is some circumstance in your life. What are you facing right now that is keeping you awake at night? Is it a work decision? Is it decisions about retirement? Is it decisions about a move? Is it a conflict you're having with someone? Whether it's someone at work or a neighbor or family member. For others of you, maybe God is asking you to step into trusting Him with your children. The time period where you can control what your child does is a very short time. There's a, it's a limited window. Trust me, I know. I've raised four kids. Well, Pam did most of the raising. I just helped along the way. You see, one of the scariest things for a parent is that loss of control over their child. And it is a fearful thing to turn over your life, your child's life into God's hands. Can you trust God with your child? Or maybe God is asking you to trust him with your health. Uncertainty in your health can lead to a lot of sleepless nights. Trust me, I've had to work through this going through cancer. But at the end of the day, it may be one of the things that God is asking you to do. Can you trust him with your health, your life? When I read this psalm, 
the impression that I'm left with is that David expects us to do this on a daily basis. This isn't a one and done kind of deal. He says, when you lay down, when you lay down, deal with your emotion. Go through the day, evaluate, meditate on it, and then spend time in silence, allowing God to speak into your life. And if he reveals things that you need to repent of, repent. Deal with it. But then cross the finish line by committing to trusting whatever it is you're wrestling with, whatever it is you want to hold on to, whatever it is you want to sort through, whatever it is you want to solve. Commit to giving it to God. Turn it over to Him. And then when you do that, David tells us that we can lie down and go to sleep in peace, trusting God because he is our refuge. God's got this. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the sleepy psalm. This psalm where David gives us so many practical things to be able to work on to get a simple thing like a good night's sleep. And yet I know David realizes the importance of rest and sleep and the ability to sleep in the midst of going through terrible or difficult circumstances. So God, my prayer is for everyone who's listening to this message, that they would be obedient in trying what David is asking and calling them to do. But at the end of the day, Lord, I know that the hardest step is to trust you, to trust you with our life, to trust you with our work, to trust you with our families, to trust you with our health. Lord, may we be a church of people who willingly trust you in every aspect of our life. May we be a defeated people in the sense that slowly, every day, day by day, we give over every aspect of our life. We surrender it to you. In Jesus' name, amen.